Welcome everyone to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross. What a hectic time this is in tennis. No time to breathe. Madrid ends. Rome starts. The French Open is in two weeks. This is insane. This is total insanity. Novak Djokovic back on the podium, so to speak, after winning the first major of the year. Now three major titles in a row for Djokovic. I shouldn't say now. This is old news. But essentially comes back after that. Doesn't play well in Indian Wells, doesn't play well in Miami, doesn't play well or very well in Monte Carlo, losing losing to Daniil Medvedev in the quarterfinals. And finally, um, he is back to his title-winning ways, taking Madrid, doing so in um, quite impressively, beating Dominic Team, who at that time was, I think, the man to beat. Roger Federer doesn't think so. He said Nadal's still the man to beat. But, you know, I, th- I thought that he was playing the best tennis um, up to that point, he beats him in the semifinals. And then, uh, of course, we don't get the Nadal-Djokovic final that we all expected after Djokovic beat Dominic Team, because Nadal loses in three sets to Stefanos Tsitsipas, which I don't think anyone really saw coming. Um, actually, some people did in the comments. Uh, but quite the shocker, especially because... Nadal beat him so handedly in Melbourne, and then you would think that the conditions would swing even further towards Rafa Nadal on his favorite surface. And of course, uh, Tsitsipas after that match said, I don't understand how anyone with a one-handed backhand can possibly beat this guy. And he proved his own hypothesis wrong, so to speak. But it says something about Tsitsipas and his mentality. We'll get into that a a little bit later. Uh, French Open power rankings make their return I did not revisit them last week, which might have been a mistake. But anyway, it's been a really long time. I mean, I haven't. There hasn't been an, an issue of the French Open power rankings since, and I'll get an exact date here. The last French Open power rankings. Oh no, maybe I won't get an exact date. Was late April. April. I want to say twenty second, and now it is May. 13th, if my thing would load, yes, April 22nd was the last French Open Power Rankings. It is now May 13th. A lot of time has passed. There are some significant changes. And at the top, there hadn't been many significant changes. And finally, at the top, there's a bit of there's been a bit of a reshuffling. Also later in the show, um, Rome quarter-by-quarter preview. So a lot to look forward to. This has been the longest intro of all time in Monday Match Analysis history, so let's get uh, right to it. I was making a lot of videos uh, during the Madrid quarterfinals and the semifinals, and I had to stop making videos because I had to go on a little road trip for some business. So Let's talk a bit about Nadal and Tsitsipas. I just finished watching the third set of that match. I didn't have time to watch the entire match. But Nadal lost in a way that I had never seen him lose before. I've I've never seen Nadal get so tight at the net. And his volleys are so damn underrated. Or either they're underrated or so many people have been calling them underrated that they're now overrated. Regardless, they're really, really, really solid. And it's rare to see Nadal flub up at the net. But he did it three times down the stretch in this match. He did it um, 
and I did kind of speed through watching this match, kind of skipping in between points and stuff. Um, but I know it contributed to the break, and he missed an easy volley on break point. And then trying to break Tsitsipas back, I believe he had a costly, easy missed volley. I've never seen that from Nadal. Uh, Tsitsipas was a bit more consistent in the big moments. And I think the biggest thing for Nadal is he, he's getting outgunned. And that can't happen. He cannot get outgunned. So Tsitsipas's forehand is such an unbelievable weapon. And that's why he's really good on clay. He's not great on clay because he's unbelievably consistent or he's unbelievably quick and hard to hit it by. Uh, his serve is, which is a weapon, is almost uh, neutralized a bit by the clay. So why is he good on clay? In in my in my opinion, it's the forehand, and not only that, it's such a massive weapon, but how many forehands he's able to generate for himself. Tsitsipas has unbelievable footwork moving to his left. He does such a great job of not only finding himself a forehand, but getting there in time with time to, to set up his forehand. So he, he stops his leftward momentum and is able to, to move into the court when he hits that forehand to get his uh, body weight moving forward into the court when he hits the forehand. Um, but also creating a lot of space between the ball and his body. So a lot of players, they'll create for themselves forehands, but their footwork is either too lazy or not quick enough uh, or just not precise enough to make enough space between the body and the ball. And also a lot of the time they're not getting there in time. And yeah, they're hitting forehands, but they're really just trailing off to the left as they hit it towards their backhand corner, which is not what you want. Tsitsipas is so good at finding himself forehands because his footwork moving to the left is so good. And then when he hits the forehand, I don't think people realize exactly how much RPMs, how much spin Tsitsipas is generating on that forehand and how heavy that ball is. He doesn't have kind of the, he doesn't have the sort of the buggy whip tendencies that Nadal has. And he doesn't, he has so much more pace on it than a Jack Sock, and he doesn't have as extreme a grip as a Kyle Edmund or like a, a Karen Hatchinov. And all of these players that I just mentioned, they get a lot of attention for putting these incredible amounts of topspin on the ball. But I think Tsitsipas doesn't really get mentioned in that as much. And I think it's because he doesn't use an extreme grip. He doesn't really finish over over his same shoulder. And he also gets a lot of pace on it. So for some reason, maybe it's tougher to notice how much his ball is kicking up off the court, how consistent he is attacking with his forehand, and how hard to deal with uh how hard it is to deal with that shot for the opponents of Stefanos Tsitsipas. And Nadal is supposed to have the same thing, but here's what's not happening enough in Nadal's game. Nadal's forehand is not getting him ahead in rallies as as much as it needs to. And I think that that's uh, a big problem for him right now. His forehand wasn't bad in this match. It's just it, it needs to be the kind of weapon where it's almost uh, a nuclear bomb that 
you're stepping on if you give Nadal a too good a look at a forehand. And against uh, Stefanos, it it wasn't that weapon. So I think there's two levels higher that Nadal can reach with his forehand, and he's not reaching that level right now. And we know with the modern state of Nadal's game, where he needs to be offensive to be successful, that forehand needs to be at the highest level. He's losing to players like Dominic Thiem and Stefanos Tsitsipas, who are actually outgunning him from the back with their forehands. Some of the few players that can do it, mind you. Nadal isn't losing to bad players. He's losing to really, really good players. But he's still losing, and we're not used to seeing that on clay for Nadal. If he doesn't win Rome, I think it'll be the first time that he hadn't won any of the French Open warm-ups since 2004. And if it's not 2004, then maybe it's 2003 or 2002. But... Um, I know it's the first time since 2004 that um, he hadn't won uh, Monte Carlo or Madrid, which is unbelievable. Let's move on to the final. Novak Djokovic. Um, wow. So I think that the two things that have been lagging for Djokovic and to a certain extent, everything was lagging for Djokovic after the Australian Open. But I think the two biggest things we talked about in general, his offense, but I think his forehand, his ability to be confident with his forehand and create offense from it off the ground, and um, to his cardio and his, his fitness. And I think especially the forehand looked like it was back because I think that Djokovic's defense, his quickness and his, his return, I feel like that had always been there. It was just when it was time to really take take a more aggressive stance when he was playing players who are just as consistent as he is he was having trouble taking a more aggressive uh playing a more aggressive role and attacking especially with his forehand he's finally he finally found his forehand in Rome he found it um in spurts against Dominic Team and then even more against Tsitsipas he was able to completely neutralize almost the almost completely neutralize the Tsitsipas serve in Madrid, that's so incredibly impressive. We're so used to seeing that from Djokovic throughout his entire career. Um, and then he's he was also hanging in rallies a little bit longer. And there, his cardio and his fitness, it's going to get better. Because I, I think that there are still levels higher. And when I said that Dominic Team could beat him on fitness, I still believe he could have done that if Team played that match a little bit differently. Uh, I don't. I don't anticipate that remains the case uh, in Paris. And, you know, I, I really think when, when you're looking back and you're reflecting on Novak Djokovic, what happened here is he won the Australian Open. He took vacation. He was distracted by off-the-court issues and did not get enough training in, was not ready to play this American hardcourt swing. And slowly and slowly, he's rounded into form and gotten into better and better shape. My my thoughts was I was kind of always planning on picking him to win Rome. I thought about picking him to win Madrid. And I thought, eh, I'll still go with team in the form that he's in. Um, so Djokovic, this isn't the first time where this isn't the first time this has happened. But, you know, I've I've expected him 
to get back to the top level, the highest level, and he just did it a little bit before that I, before I expected. Um, and that was that. All right, it's time for Rome. This is the thumbnail. It's one of my favorite courts in tennis. I love the uh, the angle, how like how angled the the stands are. So even if you're on the upper deck, you're still pretty close to the court. That that creates like a louder environment, and it's it's all in all, I I like it. Let's get into this preview. Rome preview. Novak Djokovic's quarter. Uh, the seeds are Del Potro once again, same seed that he had in Madrid. Daniil Medvedev and Marco Cecchinato. I think Djokovic comes out of it. My dark horse is Casper Rudd, and it's probably the first time I've mentioned him on this channel. I don't think it'll be the last. Uh, it's a this is a 20-year-old Norwegian whose favorite surface is clay. Plays at the Rafa Nadal Academy. Has a really big forehand, and uh, he's also I think in somewhat of a vulnerable section in Rome where. You have Del Potro coming off injury. He's 0-1 so far this year. And then you have Vavrinka, who's looked pretty good, playing Gafan, who's been one of the biggest disappointments of 2019. Maybe he'll turn it around, maybe not. Um, and then you have Medvedev. Medvedev's a tough out, actually. Um, who Medvedev's playing Kyrgios in the first round. I expect uh, Medvedev to, to beat Nick on this surface. But he avoids Djokovic in this quarter. So I could maybe see Casper Rudd as a dark horse. I don't fully believe in this pick. I don't think he's ready. But I could maybe see him as a dark horse, at least getting to play Djokovic in the quarterfinals. Upset alert, uh, Juan Martin Del Potro. I don't know how much of an upset this would be if he played uh, Stan Wawrinka in the second round. But uh, I suppose I'll put that on upset alert. Uh, Del Potro coming off injury. You know, it's a bit of a cop-out pick, to be honest, if I'm criticizing myself. Uh, early popcorn. I don't know why I didn't put Medvedev and Kyrgios. But I don't really think that'll be that good a match, Medvedev and Kyrgios. I think Medvedev might win that pretty easily because I, I just, on, on this surface, I feel like Medvedev is going to be able to get enough balls in the court where Kyrgios will honestly just get pretty frustrated. And uh, I don't think he'll be willing... I don't think we'll see the patient version of Nick Kyrgios that can be so dangerous just because he can't stand clay. So it doesn't really bode well. But maybe. We'll see. Um, let's see. Oh, whoops. The actual popcorn matchup, though, v Vavrinka and Gafan. Gafan really need, needs a win here is, is all I'll say about that. Gafan needs to start stepping it up because I'm not really sure what's going on post uh you know, he's having a good year. He got injured last last season with the unlucky eye injuries. But I'm just really surprised this season that he's come out and he hasn't climbed back up to where he was because I, I believe, you know, he should be, I think he's like 28, 29 years old, really should be in his prime right now and uh, has just wonderful racket talent, wonderful ability to change direction off the ground and wonderful precision off of his forehand and his backhand. I don't think you guys need much explaining for why I think Djokovic comes out of this quarter, but I'll talk quickly about, about his draw. Shapovalov, Shapovalov loses so much from the clay. I mean, his, his game is so much worse on the dirt for, uh, 
you know, his, his, he's not comfortable moving on it. He's, he doesn't get put enough balls in the court. He's too impatient. It takes away from his offense. Uh, it players can get it up high on his backhand. It's he's much worse on clay. Cole Schreiber, Checkinato, Checkinato's tough. Checkinato will probably beat Cole Schreiber, and Checkinato is a tough matchup. But still, right now, I think the the kind of player who can beat Djokovic is not going to be someone who needs to win points quickly or relatively quickly. It's going to be someone who's willing to really drag things out and try to get to Djokovic's legs. Checkinato's not really that guy. Roger Federer's quarter. This is a tough one to pick because this quarter is pretty stacked. Tsitsipas, the reigning finalist at Madrid. Fabio Fanini, who looks incredibly focused. Borna Cioric, who, besides lacking the big forehand, can can be kind of difficult on clay with his fitness and his defense. Um, this is a really good quarter. I think every seed is pretty good in this quarter, where Djokovic's quarter is is really not as strong um, as this quarter, in my opinion. Why is, it, why is this going the wrong way? Uh, Dark Horse, Benoit Pair. I always like it when a player as good as Pair gets through the qualifying rounds. That's always dangerous because now they're used to the conditions. They're on a bit of a win streak here. They've been settled in you know, with uh, whatever kind of getting used to the, the the time, getting used to the the climate, getting used to, I already said, the court conditions. Like I always like it when a player as good as Benoit Pair qualifies for a Masters event. They become very, very dangerous. Pair is incredibly quick, good defensively, which is really great for clay, um, and can be very crafty. To, to find his offense with the he's got a good backhand which he flattens out but also uses the drop shot likes to come to net and uh, has a pretty big serve as well Benoit Pair has an eclectic game and let's see who would he be drawing in this draw where's Pair oh Pair plays Albit in the first round not a bad draw uh, for him in the first round and then he'd have to play Fanini in the next round which would be Highly entertaining match, but he's he's just a disruptive player. That's why he's the dark horse. Upset alert, none. Like again, I really like this quarter. Chorich gets Cam Nori. That's a tough matchup, but Nori's a guy who is going to try to win. You know, by with consistency and fitness. And Chorich has pretty good consistency and fitness. Um, you know, Tsitsipas is playing the the young Italian, um, what is it? Is it Yarko? It's not Yarko. Yanko, not Yarko. Yannick, Yannick Sinner, Sinner, um, who I haven't, I haven't seen yet, but I believe he's 17 years old. He's already won a challenger's title, which is not easy to do. And uh, that's my early popcorn is Tsitsipas and Yannick Sinair. Uh, can't wait to see this kid. Italian, hometown kid. I've heard very good things. And uh, they will play in the second round because Sinair beat Stevie Johnson. Talk about a difficult win. Oh, my God. Stevie Johnson on clay. Stevie Johnson is a, a fitness animal. His forehand is is huge. He gets so much spin on his forehand. And then his backhand, he has none. He just slices it. But 
that's a tough guy to beat. So that's very impressive at 17. Uh, let's see. Did I get through everything? Oh, let me explain why I picked Roger Federer instead of Tsitsipas, who was so darn impressive in Madrid. Um, the reason is because this is a lot of tennis for Tsitsipas now. Three weeks in a row, he played Barcelona. I mean, he play, he won Estoril, rather. I don't know why I get those confused. He won Estoril, then he made the final in Madrid, and now he's going to turn around to play Rome immediately. Um, that's that's too much tennis. So that's why. That's why. And Roger Federer was incredibly impressive in this tournament. And I've already kind of talked about that. But, I mean, he had every chance to beat Dominic Team. Obviously, he had the match points. So, I mean, what a successful tournament that was for Federer, looking so impressive. And the conditions in Rome, they're a little bit worse. But still, I think he looked good enough, and he obviously feels good enough even playing this tournament. You know if he didn't feel great, he wouldn't play this tournament, where I think Federer's the pick here. Fanini looks very focused, and uh, it's his home country. He'll be a tough out, uh, and hopefully we get Federer Fanini, because that would be very special. Okay, next quarter. What is going on with my slides? I don't know. I am trying. Oh, th this went in a crazy order. This did not go in order. So I talked about Djokovic's quarter, but then the quarter under Djokovic's quarter is Sasha Zverev's quarter. So I it accidentally skipped one. Okay, got it. Sorry about that. So it's uh, Zverev, Nishikori, Chilich, Monfils. It's, it's an interesting quarter. I think uh, a miracle quarter for Zverev. I think Zverev should be so happy about this. I'm taking him. He's getting better and better. The distractions are behind him. It, he played very well against Tsitsipas. That was a good match for him. And, uh, you know, I think right now Tsitsipas is, is, levels, is a level or two above Zverev. Um, but it's getting better and better. It'll continue to get better. This is probably my favorite surface for Zverev because I do believe that um, I do believe that the consistency that he brings to the table can bring him a very very long way on clay. So I think he gets through this. Guido Pela is the dark horse. He um, he's in the top twenty. Pela, unbelievable. So unseated, which is why I still get to make him the dark horse, but. Let's see his his draw and who who he's getting. Uh, but Pela beat beat Medvedev, I believe, last week. Continues to be very very impressive. So hard to find these people in the, when I'm looking at the draw. Pela. Oh, there he is. Okay, Pela plays Taylor Fritz in the first round, and then uh, Kane Nishikori. That's why I have Kane Nishikori on upset alert. Nishikori hasn't had the best clay court season. You know, I'm surprised if you look at. Um, ELO, the ELO ratings, which is a, a tennis, it's a metric that kind of attempts to measure, um, I guess just measure how good players are. It's a, it's kind of an alternate ranking. It takes into account the, how good your opponent is. So it's like a rankings if you got more points for beating a better opponent than beating a worse opponent. Kane Shikori is well inside the top 10 in clay court ELO ratings, which I was surprised when I checked this morning. Um, but I, I, he's much better on hard court, Nishikori. Grew up on hard courts, I believe, um, in Florida. 
and doesn't get much benefit from the clay. Early popcorn in that quarter, it's none. And again, the winner, Sasha Zverev. Uh, so Federer's quarter, I already went over. Um, and then lastly, we have Nadal's quarter. Nadal gets the gets the bomb. He gets the the dreaded team as his five seed in his quarter. Then Karen Hatchinov and Nicholas Basilashvili. Tough quarter for Rafa Nadal, especially having to play possibly Basilashvili in the third round. I think that's pretty bad luck for Nadal because Basilashvili will uh, he will slug the ball, and if it's if it's going in and Nadal is lacking some confidence, that that can be difficult. I know they played a pretty close match at the U.S. Open last year, um, so I think Nadal will be rooting for Laszlo Jera, who. Um, plays Basilashvili in the second round, who can very capable of beating him as well. Um, I think that's tough for Nadal. First round, he would get Gasquet, winner of Gasquet and Shardy. That's good news because neither of them play very well against the top guns. Um, Karen Hatchinov is on upset alert because I think uh, there's a very good chance he will lose to Bautista Agut, who does a good job of keeping the ball not only in the court, but keeping it very low. Karen Hatchinov hates that. So I like that as an upset pick. And um, popcorn match, I'm not very excited about, to be honest. Team and Verdasco, eh, I don't know. But that's that's all I could, could come up with. But I am picking Team to get through this over Nadal. Um, just because of form. Just because of who I think is playing the better tennis right now. That is literally it. Um, Nadal, I think, is in a place where now, before the best of five comes, and I think that's a different story. Uh, until then, you know, he just needs to show a little bit more off his forehand side and more confidence. So, right now, I got team. Um, now, with that being said, Nadal has done a pretty good job every single year making sure that team only beats him once and not twice. And I'll leave it at that. Whoops. All right. Final weekend. Oh my God. This is a mess. What a mess. I don't know what's going on with my slides. Final weekend. Djokovic beats Verev in three sets. Team beats Federer in two sets. And Djokovic beats team in three sets. So we could be getting some rematches if my predictions are right. Um, I was good. Oh my God. I apologize for this. Oh my God. Madrid. It's, it's for some reason when I'm clicking, it's double clicking. And I don't know why that is. Um, I went four for four semifinalists in Madrid. So I'm on a hot streak there. Although, um, I did pick both semifinals wrong, even though I kind of, kind of thought Djokovic would win, but I stuck with my pick before tournament and went with Dominic team. Kind of thought Djokovic would win that. Uh, let's go to the power rankings. This is this is absolutely massive. The most important moment, the moment that you've all been waiting for. French Open power rankings, May 13th edition. Novak Djokovic moves up to number one from number two. Dominic Team moves up from number three to number two. Nadal falls to number three. Who would have thought? I certainly wouldn't have predicted this. But this is where we are. The power rankings are a reflection of how good players are right 
now at this moment. This is not a French Open prediction. It is a it is a if if the French Open were a pop quiz and they had to play it tomorrow, where would things stand? And right now I think Nadal with the limitations that he's shown physically, um, limitations that I think he can overcome if he gets his forehand right. But so far, he hasn't really gotten his forehand uh, consistently where he needs it. Federer stays at number four. I'm pretty sure Roger Federer has been at number four for the entirety of this French Open Power Rankings. It's been like two and a half, three months now. We've been doing this, and I don't think Roger Federer has moved. January 28th was the first French Open Power Rankings, and Roger Federer was at number four. He has yet to move. He's just outside that top three of Djokovic, team, and Nadal. Djokovic, team, and Nadal have done some shuffling around, but Federer has stayed put. Stefano Tsitsipas, a return to number five. The last time he was at number five was April 15th. Moved all the way down to number 10 after not making too much noise. But then he wins Estoril. He looks unbelievable in Madrid. And that, and we're talking about a guy who is the Australian Open semifinalist. Stefano Tsitsipas is number 5. Sasha Zverev moving on up. Actually, he moved down. But we're just going to ignore that. He's he's down to number um, down to number 6. But... Not because he didn't play well, just because Tsitsipas played so well, he bumps Zverev down one. But now I feel more confident that Zverev is going to stay up here. For a while, I just had him in, and I'm like, you know what, guys? I don't know if he's going to stay here. I don't really know what's going on with him. Um, Actually, yeah, yeah I, I didn't really think he was going to stay there. But um, now I feel pretty confident that Zverev will only move up or stay the same from here. Number seven, Fabio Fanini. He was here last week. He's staying there. Fabio Fanini, he's chilling at number seven. A guy who, if he's fully focused, no one wants to play. Although I kind of question if he has the conditioning in best of five sets to make a deep run into the second week of the French Open. I, I question that. I don't know about that. But that's why he's not higher. That's why he's number seven. Marco Cecchinato. He's actually staying put at number eight. There should not be an NR next to his name. There should be nothing next to his name because he was number eight last week. Cecchinato, um, reigning French Open semifinalist, continues to show that he's a force to be reckoned with on clay. Not, you know, he's he's not ready to really, I don't think he's ready to take the world by storm like he did last year at the French Open, but he's definitely a player. Stan Wawrinka, he continues to to do some winning on the dirt, just hasn't had that big week yet. Stan is still, he hasn't found his his former level, but he's still at a very, very high level. So he was up at number six, down to number nine. I mean, we're starting to realize, I don't know if Stan, I mean, Stan's no threat really to win the thing. But again, that's why he's number nine. But he does deserve to be in the top 10 because he continues to have pretty deep runs at these clay courts events. And then a debut in the number 10, someone who is very, very, very deserving, someone who um, leads the tour in clay court victories, Guido Pela. Um, good to see him in the top 10. Uh, just a, a model of consistency is Guido Pela. And even when he, when he got to play Nadal, I think in Monte Carlo, he uh, had a good showing for himself. So he'll continue to be someone who no one wants to play at the French Open.
And that is your French Open Power Rankings. That does it for for this week's edition of Monday Match Analysis. Uh, Let's see. What do we got next week? Next week, we're going to recap Rome. Talk about that final. Should be a good should be a good week of tennis. Um, I'm traveling to London for the next seven weeks. There will be more information on that coming. Stay tuned. Very exciting. Um, I will be finally, for the first time in my life, I will be attending Wimbledon this year. Um, I believe I will be attending the French Open this year. Um, it's going to be good. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time.